With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome in, everyone, to the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com. And Crimson Cover Television, I'm joined as I am twice weekly during the football season by Trevor, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, also the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, 11 to noon on weekdays. You can catch that fine radio program. Now, the Talking Tide podcast Twitter feed is Talking underscore Tide. And we are available to you at our web host at podbean.com. Also, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We want to thank our fine trio of sponsors for the podcast, North River Dental Associates, Heat Pizza Bar, and Southern Ale House. More on those three fine establishments later in the program. But we begin, of course, recapping Alabama's victory over Notre Dame in a college football playoff semifinal Rose Bowl game in the state of Texas, strangely enough, as we close out 2020. And uh, Travis, 31-14, to 14, the final score. Alabama improves to 12-0 and 0 on the season in a game that uh, they maybe didn't totally dominate like we've seen them dominate a lot of games this year, but definitely a game that they were in control of from the outset. Plenty of game control, as the selection committee likes to call it. Yeah, typically, if this Alabama team gets out to a 14 to nothing start that sees them pile up 176 total yards in the first quarter, uh, the results, as you said, the the sort of probability, win probability, goes up extensively. So Alabama was able to do that. Uh, you know, did some really nice things offensively right out the gate. Uh, you know, got the tight ends involved. We went into that game thinking it was going to be all about Notre Dame's tight ends and even the running backs in the passing game for the Irish. And it was largely, I think, those two positions for Notre Dame, like, was it 15, 20 receptions for those guys at those spots? Uh, very little in the way of wide receiver production. We anticipated that for Notre Dame uh, in the game as well. But, uh, you know, I thought the game would go under the 65 and a half. I did think Alabama, if forced to make a call on the spread, I figured Alabama might cover by just a little bit. And it looked like Alabama was going to do that, Chase, until that last drive there for the Irish uh, that was penalty uh, plagued and some other things there. But, you know, Alabama did what it needed to do. Got out to the early lead, put Notre Dame in the very uncomfortable position of coming not only from behind, but from two touchdowns behind. And, you know, you you don't want to call a game going into the second quarter, but, uh, you know, and Notre Dame did answer with the touchdown drive to make it a touchdown game, but, uh, you know, Alabama pretty much controlled the game throughout. Backdoor cover, they call those, oh. those covers on the back. Uh, Ian, Ian Book on the backdoor. Backdoor cover. Ian yeah. Book, yeah. <laughs> backdoor Oof. booked. Oof. So, no screen doors on those backdoors. No, no, not back with doors. the man. No, no, uh, no they nobody, slam no, shut. 
Nobody knocks on those things. <laughs> they don't. They don't have like a, a dog entry at the bottom of them either. You can't even get in through there. You know, a lot of times with the man, but uh, Notre Dame did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Alabama uh, strong from the outset. Definitely, the mismatches were on the edges, on the perimeter, really on both sides of the ball. Notre Dame's wide receivers, as we talked about on the preview podcast. They were locked down, especially Sertan. As a matter of fact, I, I, I think I think Notre Dame's game plan was to stay away from Sertan altogether. They didn't want any of him. And on the other side, Notre Dame's corners, I don't think, could, could handle Alabama at wide receiver. Certainly not Devontae Smith, who had yet another big performance, a couple of fabulous catches. He finishes seven catches, 130 yards, three touchdowns. And, uh, you know, that first touchdown Smith caught Travis – where he just turned, kind of, I don't want to say turned the corner, but just kind of buzzed right around his man and, and caught the sideline. Thought he might have stepped out of bounds, but he didn't and uh, made it kind of look easy. He kind of knew it was going to be a long night for Notre Dame's corners uh, when he slipped through there that easily. Yeah, and got some really good help from John Mechie downfield. And once again, um, you know, we talk so much about the dynamic playmaking ability, the speed, the athleticism of not only – the the wide receivers but what Najee Harris obviously can do as a receiver what Jalil Billingsley continues to evolve into as a weapon Miller Forstall an above average receiver that you can do some different things with schematically but I thought the physicality uh once again uh, of Alabama out on the edges and um you know bigger stronger faster not only at, at a lot of areas of, of, of the game on a weekly basis but um, you know, and maybe not necessarily bigger um, at, at wide receiver uh, and even tight end, but they continue to do a masterful job for one another, um, you know, in, in that in those areas of, of, of blocking and, and helping one another. You saw it with even Devontae later in the game, a little RPO slant to John Mechie and Devontae Smith telling John Mechie, come on, I got you, mm-hmm. you know, get on, get behind me. I, I'm going to help lead the way here. And uh, it, it, the, the one hand really washes the other with those guys when it comes to that aspect. A lot of the, you're right. A lot of the the passing yardage for Mac Jones in the game, 297 yards after the catch. Right. I mean, it was, yeah. that was a lot of it. Yeah, Smith was just waiting for Mechie on that crossing route, and uh, yeah. when he when he came like across a the field, yeah, yeah, just uh, blew right through there, and and uh, yeah, get on my hip and and keep going. Billingsley, yeah, the more I watch him the more impressed I am with his speed and athleticism for a bigger guy for a tight end. If you watch the touchdown catch that he made, he lines up on the right side of the formation at tight end. And really I thought showed a lot of speed and quickness to get wide, wide open on toward the left corner. That's a tough matchup for any linebacker on Billingsley. And he just seems to get better and better. And the safety has to, respect the fact that Devonte smith's running the cross from the other side you know so that holds him and you're right i mean you get jalil billingsley now jalil billingsley in 2020 is basically Keyshawn johnson 25 years ago right i mean look at the receivers from 25 years ago yeah they were wide receivers they were big wide receivers now they're guys like jalil billingsley that technically qualify as tight end so from a personnel matchup on the other side, you have to account. You have to figure on guys like that. I mean, when Alabama goes two tight ends, 
Chase, I'd be almost tempted to stay in in nickel, you know, when it's Billingsley and Forrestall, because mm-hmm. what do they end up in in terms of formations? They went a lot of two by two in the game that was essentially twelve personnel. But when you've got tight ends like Forrestall and Billingsley, you can you know put them together into the boundary or even to the to the field in a two by two set. Um, and, and now you're now you're dealing with. Uh, you know, some size and athleticism on the outside that, uh, you know, from base personnel, that that's tough to deal with. And no doubt about it. Mac Jones with a, with a huge night with all those weapons. He ends up 25 out of 30 for just under 300 yards, four more touchdowns, zero interceptions. And uh, uh, Travis, uh, he and Devontae Harris, by the way, we'll touch on this quickly now, I guess. Uh, two of the four Heisman Trophy finalists, along with Kyle Trask and Trevor Lawrence, that'll be announced here in a couple days. I think on Tuesday evening, uh, that Heisman Trophy Trophy winner will be announced, and uh, I think it's coming down to to uh, Jones and Smith. Myself. Yeah, I think that's going to be your your one two there on Tuesday night. I, I get the sense. I, I think it's going to be Devontae, but with as dominated by the quarterback position as this award is, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Mac either. So um, it, it, it'll, it'll be must see TV. It's just, it's just, again, a, a fascinating aspect of the season in general that, you know, right basically in the middle of a preparation week for the national championship game, you're also going to have the Heisman trophy. And, you know, whereas you could view that as a potential distraction at a lot of places, maybe that would be the case. I don't think that's going to be an issue for Alabama and, you know, the exposure and, and not that Alabama needs a lot of juice from a recruiting perspective. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one more benefit to, to this program, regardless of which of the two that win it. Just under 1400 yards on the year for Najee Harris. And he hadn't even caught a whiff of the Heisman. I get, and I guess it's not, uh, in an offense where so many balls are flying and, and, and you got a quarterback hitting these receivers like Devontae Smith and Mechie and early in the season, Waddle, you know, maybe it's hard for Najee Harris to get the kind of notice and respect that a Mark Ingram did or a Trent Richardson did because Ingram, Richardson, you go back that far, those guys were more of an engine for the offense maybe than Najee Harris is. But numbers-wise – Harris is right there with anybody that's won this trophy. Yeah, 2009-2015, those were running back-centric offenses, no doubt. I mean, you got to a point in the 2009 season where the passing game was struggling uh, to the point of Mark going out of Wildcat. Remember the South Carolina game in 2009? Mm-hmm. That's essentially how they won, won that game here in Tuscaloosa. 2015, Derrick Henry with just a tick short of 400 carries on the season credit Jacob Coker down the stretch. He played at a very high level. People forget that about Jake Coker and the passing game and how it picked up the slack and some critical moments, uh, even in that national championship game, especially in that national championship win over Clemson. But yeah, there's it, 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 it's, it's interesting because you're right in most years when an Alabama running back in the Nick Saban era had the type of season that Najee Harris has had, He'd do a little better than fifth in the Heisman Trophy voting. But, you know, it almost looked like the other night, not that I think that there's any bitterness or jealousy necessarily when you talk about those big three guys on the Alabama offense. It kind of felt like Najee was making a little bit of a statement again. You know, I mean, 
he was tremendous from the outset. You want to talk a Heisman moment? How about hurdling, you know, uh, a defender once again? You know, this time uh, it was uh, McLeod for uh, Notre Dame, the unfortunate corner who ended up on a lot of highlights, it seemed like, in the game. But, you know, that that's what you want. It, it's kind of, you know, not a sibling rivalry, I guess. But, you know, guys are – there's there's value in the touches you get because with the guys they have, and this is without Jalen Waddell for an extended sense of stretch now, um, you're, you're going to try to house every touch you get. But what I like is they're not doing it in a selfish way that leads to negative plays. You know, Najee has really grown as a back in that, you know, if he's got four, five, six yards there, he'll take it instead of trying to turn it into 30 or 40 yards and then end up going for no gain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest growth I've seen in Najee really since uh, really October of last year. It's a phenomenal hurdle on that long play of his, no question about it. His, uh, probably his longest run of the season at 53 yards. Longest of his career. Yeah, yeah. it's career long, 53, yeah. Usually you see Najee hurdle guys that go low, but McLeod wasn't going low. <laughs> well, he was, and, he, and here's the thing. It's on tape enough that you know these guys know it's coming at this point. That's what makes it even more amazing to me. But yeah. you probably just can't fathom that he's really going to do it right here. And then he does it, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a secret at this point and he still does it and he does it that was his best one yet because he didn't even break stride chase i mean he just he, he landed it perfectly and just kept running yeah nick saban asked about it after the game you know he's never been a real big fan of <laughs> running back hurdling you know but he, he had no choice yeah. but to just crack a grin and say well i i couldn't i couldn't coach it out of him no and when you got a guy feeling it like Najee Harris, nick knows you you don't you don't mess with anything in that dude's head. You just let him, you got one game to go and it's for all the marbles. And this guy is playing at a, at a Heisman trophy winning level. And and you're not going to, whatever your personal beliefs may be at this point, uh, even if you are perhaps the greatest uh, coach in college football history, there's a reason, there's reasons why you got to that point. And one of them is, knowing you don't mess with a good thing. And, and Najee's a great thing right now. A little late to develop much, right? With one game. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, guys yeah. are what they are when they've been around for four years. You know, that that's one of those plays a year ago or two years ago, especially Nick probably would have stopped, you know, in the, in the good, the bad, and the ugly film review and said, Najee, we can't do that, you know. But now you just you just let it run, you know, just let it keep going defensively for the Crimson Tide. We'll get on that topic, Travis, for a few minutes. DeMarco Helms with a big game for Alabama. 12 tackles led the way, uh, had a sack for a one-yard loss, and uh, really his play seems to improve to me over the second half of the season pretty significantly, and and, uh, he saw a lot of action in this game. He did. Um, You know, with Malachi Moore out, too, it wasn't just his safety because not that they were in dime very much at all, but with Brian Branch moving up to the star uh, for Malachi Moore in the nickel and the dime, that meant that you were at least going to see Helms on occasion uh, at the money position. But you did see him at safety a good bit and uh, very effective. You're right. Uh, he continues to impress me just as a tackler. And in a game like that one, 
that was going to be running back and tight end centric, uh, you wanted to make sure, you know, obviously you love having a guy like that out there because he's as, he's one of their top three surest tacklers, I would say right now uh, on that defense. Now, where you lose something without Malachi Moore especially and you have to bump Branch up to star is that, um, you know, against a team like a Florida, I think that would have been especially problematic. Uh, because you needed your best cover guys out there as mm-hmm. much as possible. And I think Branch and Moore in the nickel and dime uh, and in the dime together, uh, that's what those guys are for Alabama. But Helms is he's coming along, too. Um, you know, he's going to be more of a traditional safety type. Uh, I don't know how much you, again, against the Floridas and, and the teams like that, you want him, you know, dropping down in man coverage on some of these guys. But uh he has, you know, you talk about improved guys throughout the course of the season. I put DeMarco Helms right there at the top of the list. Yeah. Christian Barmore, too, has come a long way from the beginning of the season. Right. He picked yeah. up a sack, a uh, big play for Alabama. Gets a lot of push on the inside, which Alabama, uh, they looked like they were completely lacking push on the inside in the first probably half of the season, really. And Barmore appears to have solved that problem, not totally by himself, because they, they've developed a couple other guys in that respect. But he's the horse on the inside for Alabama right now. I like as much as anything that he's finishing plays. You know, there were times in previous years, in the previous years where, you know, if the play went the other way or he was out of the play, you didn't really see him do a whole lot to try to get back into the play. Uh, I've seen a lot more of that out of Christian Barmore. And that was kind of what you were waiting on from, for, from him, because in terms of producing negative plays, you had already seen that the previous two years. And, you know, just at times understanding that, you know, this isn't the, the, the situation where, you know, you need to take chances for the sake of, you know, making a big play for yourself. You know, there's things within the defense where sometimes, uh, you know, you've got to take on a double team. You, you've got to almost run interference to free up guys that you're anticipating being freed up to make plays. And I think he's accepted more of that and uh, just a consistency in what he's doing on a down-in and down-out basis. That's That's been a, a real positive for this defense. And, you know, I, I think there's some young guys, too, that have set the standard from that standpoint. I think Will Anderson, as much as anybody on this defense, you know, the best thing, I, you know, Will Anderson, the sacks and, and all those things and, um, you know, the unlimited potential that he has moving forward. What I like about Will Anderson is he doesn't stay blocked, right? I mean, he'll maybe get blocked initially, mm-hmm. but he's going to get off a block. He's going to do what he has to do. And it, and it may not result in a, a loss of two or three yards, but he'll limit things that the last two years that would turn into 12, 15 yard runs to three or four. You know, and so, uh, in other words, I think this defense in general, as the season has gone along for the most part, has made teams earn it more than they had the last year and a half or so. He doesn't, Anderson doesn't run himself out of the play like you nope. see some pass rushers do. Nope. Um, you know, and you watch him, the more I watch Will Anderson because of what you're talking about and also seeing him more in coverage doing some good things, I think Will Anderson can play Mike. And I know physically that doesn't line up with today's middle linebacker. It would be more along the lines of Rolando McClain playing the mic because he is 6'3", 6'4", 250 pounds or so. But just watch this guy 
in in every aspect of of how he plays. Mm-hmm. Um, he's smart. He's uh, he, he 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 he's got a motor, and then of course he's immensely talented. It's it's going to be really interesting to see the different things that they try to they do with him starting next year because you're already seeing some of it this year with him. Uh, but I, I you talk about cross trainable guys that you can do just a ton of different things with. He is he's that kind of guy. I think at, at the linebacker, I, I think of Will Anderson more and more as a linebacker and not just an outside linebacker, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they, they could definitely move him around if they needed to. And, and I mean, I don't think he's going to be a Mike. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that d- depending on down distance, personnel, whatever, they they have they have schematic freedom with him. I, I, I would feel comfortable if I was that defensive staff doing just about anything with him in the in the front seven. Speaking of linebackers, one of the toughest assignments for anybody on Alabama's defense for this game, certainly Travis, and we touched on it a few days ago in the last Talking Tide podcast, was pass coverage for the inside guys. Dylan Moses, Christian Harris working against some of these Notre Dame tight ends. Kind of mixed results, I guess. We saw Christian Harris come up, come up with a beautiful interception in the game. Uh, Dylan Moses, uh, I think he was guilty of a holding call at one point. Uh, what were your thoughts on how those two guys handled the handled things in pass coverage? Yeah, it was a lot, you know. And um, Notre Dame, like a lot of teams these these days, do so much pre snap motion, and uh, you know they came out in three wide receivers to open the game. We we talk so much about you know twelve personnel for for Notre Dame with a back and two tight ends, and even some thirteen with a back and some three tight ends, they come out on three wide receivers. Now they got right back into their multiple tight ends quickly after that first snap. But, you know, I thought, um, I thought Dylan against the backs was better than he was probably against the tight ends. Um, and then Christian Harris, the interception was textbook. Now, you know, there were some things that happened leading up to it that were, were beneficial to him, but, uh, I mean, still just a, a really strong effort against a really talented guy and Michael Mayer. But, you know, the pass rush kind of factored into that. Looked like It looked like Book felt like he needed to pull the ball down there for a second because Will Anderson was getting some edge pressure. You had some hands and some passing lanes up front, too. So it was collective. But, you know, when Book had to pull the ball down, you know, by the time he could get it out, Christian Harris – uh, was in great shape running with Mayer, and then it was just a matter of, you know, finishing the play. But that was big. That's a twenty-one to seven game. Notre Dame's out by about midfield there in the third quarter. Yep. Um, you know, Harris gets the takeaway, and and I think Alabama went right down after that and scored to to pretty much, you know, ice the game at twenty-eight to seven. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer breaking down this Alabama win over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We're going to talk about Clemson and Ohio State's semifinal here in a couple minutes. But first, we are going to thank a couple of sponsors on the program. We're going to start with North River Dental Associates and former Alabama football player Dr. Jack Smalley, who does such a fantastic job over there. I got my next cleaning appointment scheduled for tomorrow morning, Travis, 9 a.m. sharp. 
I'll be nice. in there over at North River Dental. I got my text reminder a couple of days ago. That's all it took. Uh, you just hit uh, uh, C to confirm on the reply, and you don't get anything back. You know you're in there, and uh, that wait's going to be five minutes tops, I'm getting. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. Usually in and out of there in less than an hour for a, a routine cleaning at North River Dental. The phone number is 752-3506. And you can make appointments on the web as well. NorthRiverDentist.com is the website there. And they can do whatever kind of dentistry you might need. The cosmetic dentistry, the pediatric dentistry, teeth whitening services, especially strong over there. They do everything at North River Dental. Easily located right off of 82 as you go toward Northport on McFarland Boulevard. You dip on that right turn on Watermelon Road and it is right there on your right in Fairfax Park. Once again, that's North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Get your New Year started off right. If you've made that New Year's resolution like so many of us do seemingly on a annual basis and it has to do at least somewhat with our diet, well, they can take care of you from that perspective as well at Southern Ale House. Now, I'm not going to tell you not to get the, say, Yardbird chicken sandwich. I'm not going to tell you to not get the outstanding meatloaf. I'm not going to tell you not to get the brisket chili. You know, you can get all those things. Moderation. Moderation is key. We know that. But they've got the great salads there, too, at Southern Ale House. You can get the chopped wedge. That's always been a favorite of yours, truly. They take the work out of the wedge, I like to say, with the chopped wedge at Southern Ale House. Get it with some grilled chicken on top. You're healthy. You're good to go. You're ready to start 2021 on a healthy note. Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Who knows? Maybe we'll even show up there on Monday for lunch with Pops. Pops is in town. There's been a pop sighting in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Maybe Pops will be bar siding with us at lunch. Katie, bar the door. Oh, Oh, I don't know. I don't like to take him out much, but we may have to do that on Monday. Yeah. Uh, another great option for you, Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Uh, Frank uh, Fleming, outstanding. The the crew there, there were everyone at Heat Pizza Bar, do such an outstanding job. Took a few days for the holiday. Understandable, right? But right back at it in time for New Year's. Uh, went back to work on December the 31st there. At Heat Pizza Bar, they were there for you for New Year's Day. And, of course, the college football playoff tilts. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Weekly, weeknight specials you're going to find there. Whether it's that outstanding Thai chicken pizza or maybe if you're just a traditionalist, you just want cheese, pepperoni, they've got specials on those as well throughout the week there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. The Twitter feed is talking underscore Tide. You can get all of our podcast drops linked right there on the Twitter feed. And uh, we're going to turn our attention now to the other semifinal outcome. Of course, Alabama will be taking on Ohio State for the national championship next Monday. And Travis and I will be previewing that game uh, midweek. But uh, kind of a I don't want to say shocker, uh, but uh, the final score anyway, the margin of victory, certainly a 21-point win for the Buckeyes. Travis, 49-28 to over the Clemson Tigers. And uh, Justin Fields, really the story of the game with 
Six touchdown passes, 385 yards. He does it clearly in a lot of pain after taking a huge hit to the ribs from uh, Skalski, the uh, Clemson linebacker, and uh, that was legit. Now that 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 was, you know, sometimes you hear about guys playing sick or playing hurt, and you wonder how much of it is for real and how much of it is, you know, just just kind of hype. There wasn't any hype about this. Fields was hurting. Uh, after that hit, and he came up huge after that. Yeah, that was uh, that was uh, Justin Fields' Jordan game, I think it's safe to say, after taking that uh, rib-cracking, you would almost think, shot from James Skalski of Clemson. Skalski was fortunate, too, I mean, because that's the classic catastrophic injury hit with his head down and with the crown of the helmet and uh, scary on a number of levels. But uh, all the credit in the world to Fields, man. And no questions about that cat's toughness after the way he not only just came back into the game but then played at an elite level. You know, kind of understandably, quarterback runs went out the window after that shot. And, you know, knowing that he's at least okay, it will be interesting to watch or hear from the Ohio state camp in the coming days, exactly how he's sort of proceeding. Um, you know, it may be one of those situations because of COVID protocols, nobody really knows, right. Until we get to, to game time down in South Florida. So, uh, I was surprised. I think we both felt like Clemson would win the game, win the game by more than the six and a half, seven, whatever that line was, uh, at the time of our last podcast, but, and it looked that way. You know, when Clemson got ahead and Clemson's up 14 to seven and, you know, I'm kind of still thinking, you know, this could end up being sort of a 45, 31 Clemson win, but uh, it didn't go that way. Um, You know, I I think as much as anything, uh, not to devalue again, what Fields did because it was impressive as much as anything because of the pain, you know, he was working through and he even said he took a couple of shots, I guess, there in the medical tent on the sideline. To help with that, um, no diagnosis. Though. They didn't know what was wrong up with front. It. I thought Ohio State is as great as Fields was. Um, I was really impressed with the uh, the lines of scrimmage for uh, for Ohio State in that one. I, I thought they were clearly better in those areas, and I, I thought I thought Clemson defensively was lacking a little in terms of athleticism and physicality they they weren't exactly brutish when well, especially once Skowski went uh, you know whatever you think of Skowski uh that guy obviously is the the spirit animal I guess you could say for that that Clemson defense yeah Trevor Lawrence uncharacteristic three fumbles in the game they only lost one but still when you when, even when you recover a fumble that's a lost play and, and if it's for coming from your quarterback it's usually a lost yardage so all of those fumbles key, especially, of course, the one he lost. Then he throws an interception. So, you know, that th- throws things out of kilter for the Clemson offense. Tell you what else did, too. Travis Atien, 10 carries, 32 yards. Did they give up on him a little soon, Travis, or did they have to just lay it all on the warrants once they got far enough behind? Yeah, I don't know. You know, there, there's sort of this narrative involving Etienne that, you know, bigger games, maybe he doesn't show up as big. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that, uh, I, I think you could make that argument. I felt like going into the playoff in general that Lawrence's legs 
were going to be a bigger part of what Clemson, you know, did offensively. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I never got the sense again that Ohio, that Clemson was sort of taking over in, at, at the lines of scrimmage on either side of the ball. So, you know, Clemson's offensive line is okay, I think, but by some of its previous group standard, it, it's not to that level this year. So I, I don't think it was going to be a situation where Clemson was going to sort of control things in that area. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know what you've got in Amari Rogers. You want to get him involved, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, that at the end of the day, uh, you know, Clemson was going to put it more in the hands of Lawrence than, than Etienne. Trey Sermon made a little money here in the last few weeks. You think of Lord, it, you know, I, I think so. Um, I, I th- again, though, I think Ohio State's offensive line, man, has yeah. been exceptional. And and Sermon's a good back. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I I don't think he's I don't think he's at the end. I don't think he's Najee Harris. But he, he, you're right. I mean, he's he's definitely made himself some money. I mean, it's sort of been this Zeke Elliott impersonation from the 2015 playoff that Alabama got too good of a look at there in new Orleans in that one semifinal, but he's been, he's been very, very productive. There's no denying that. I, I just, I think you have to consider the job being done up front by that Ohio state offensive line, especially in this last win over Clemson. No doubt about it. All right. Alabama and Ohio state for the national championship, Travis and I, We'll be breaking that one down a little bit later in the week. Before we get out of here really quickly, got to touch on that men's basketball program. Travis, they come away with a 71-63 win on the road in Knoxville at Tennessee. Puts them at 2-0 in the Southeastern Conference. They're going to be taking on uh, Florida here in a couple days. Matter of fact, it'll be a 6 p.m. tip in Tuscaloosa and an ESPN2 broadcast. I guess that's probably going to uh, run right over the the Heisman ceremony uh, at some point. Well, if it even is a ceremony, the Heisman Zoom, we'll call it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, big win for Alabama, beating Tennessee on the road. They were ranked seventh in the country, I believe. Oh yeah, I mean Tennessee had just gone to Columbia, Missouri, and thumped a top fifteen team on the road in Mizzou midweek. And Alabama, while impressive. And it's SEC opening win over Ole Miss here in Tuscaloosa. I was kind of the mindset, well, go up there and, and, and validate the win over Ole Miss, if nothing else, by being competitive on the road against Tennessee. I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I had any expectations of Alabama going into Thompson Bowling on Saturday evening and actually winning the game. But, man, all the credit in the world to Nate Oates and his team and – you know, I think he kind of felt like after that little bit of turbulence where you had the 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 sit out, the the sit down, I guess you could say, of Rojas and Petty for a game right before the start of league play. Maybe that's exactly what those guys needed, what this team needed, because, um, you know, going with the approach, uh, Petty did get the start against Tennessee, didn't come off the bench. But you know, Javon Quinterly, once again, very effective off the bench and. You know, when you make eight of 11 threes in the second half and you had a two-point lead at the break, that's usually going to bode well 
for Alabama, and that's what they were able to do. And just as importantly, if not more importantly, they weren't ravaged in the post like you thought they might be with Fulkerson and Pons for Tennessee. Fulkerson and Pons combined for 13 points and seven rebounds. If you knew going into that game you were going to keep those guys to that type of combined production, uh, you, you were probably going to feel pretty good about Alabama's chances. So uh, defensively, the three in the second half, John Petty's been great for whatever reason in games against Tennessee and Knoxville. Six of seven from the field, four of four from three, six rebounds. Um, you know, did a pretty good job in terms of assist to ratio, especially Quinterly with five assists, two turnovers. So, uh, it, it's a very encouraging performance, no doubt. I mean, really controlled the game. Um, you know, led for you know, a good bit of the game, if not the, the vast majority of it. And uh, now you get a Florida Gator team in here, as you alluded to on Tuesday night, that, um, you know, with Keontae Johnson and, and what he's been through, uh, just thankful that he's okay. Uh, the SEC player of the year in the preseason, even without him, Florida's two and oh in the league after a win over LSU over the weekend. So, uh, uh, kind of an unexpected matchup of unbeatens, right? Through two games with Florida and, and Alabama here at Coleman Coliseum. Yeah, no doubt about it. They, they hung on in, in Tennessee and, and, it started to feel like a typical Alabama come apart, Travis, because Tennessee started fouling with it at least a couple minutes to go. And Alabama probably missed four or five free throws in a row trying yeah. to bury this thing. And, and you wondered if Tennessee was going to be able to take advantage of that. But it, it never happened. And, and uh, they end up winning the game by eight. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the free throw performance, nine out of 17 for the game. And, uh, it seemed like they couldn't make one at the end, but fortunately for Alabama, it didn't cost them. It could have. Yeah, you're right. Four of 12 in the second half when you're trying to close out a road win in the SEC. Um, 33% on 12 attempts isn't what you're what you're looking for, but um, it helps when Tennessee goes two of 13 from three in the second half, right? That that didn't uh, that didn't. Uh, that didn't do anything to hurt Alabama's chances down the stretch. That's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us midweek as Travis and I take a look at that Alabama-Ohio State National Championship matchup. We'll recap the Heisman Trophy ceremony in that podcast. We'll recap Alabama's game against Florida in men's basketball. It's going to be a busy program. And, of course, uh, once football season has passed us here in about – eight or nine days or whatever it is, eight days. Uh, the Talking Tide podcast will take on a much stronger men's basketball flavor uh, throughout the rest of the spring. Thanks for joining us here on Talking Tide. Until next time, this is Chase Goodbread for Travis Ryer. We'll talk to you next time.